Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we'll be talking about Wild at Heart, Season 4, Episode 6. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. If you would like to check out either my Supernatural Thriller series or my Amateur Sleuth series, you can find the first in each free at lisalilly.com slash free. As to Wild at Heart, in particular, I'll cover the very strong plot and subplot that are so intertwined, it is sometimes hard to tell which is which, whether the antagonist has to be a classic bad guy, escalating conflict by asking what is the next worst thing that can happen, and whether the theme here is what the writers think that it is. There will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Wild at Heart aired the first time on November 9, 1999. It was directed by David Grossman and written by Marty Noxon. On the DVD, there also is commentary by Marty Noxon, creator Joss Whedon, and Seth Green, who played Oz. I will, for the most part, include that in my discussion, but there is a little bit more at the end and in spoilers from the commentary. We begin with conflict, as we should. The opening conflict should draw the reader in or the viewer in to the world of the story. Here, the opening conflict is not related to the main plot, which is okay because it still is gripping. Buffy races across campus at night. A vampire chases her. When they reach a deserted area, though, she turns around, thanks him for the relocate because she performs better without an audience. When he looks frustrated, says, you were thinking what? A little helpless co-ed before bed? They keep fighting, and then as she stakes him, she makes a pun about him getting heartburn due to eating so late. And he doesn't react to this humor as he is turning into dust. And Buffy jokes to herself about how he has no appreciation for her painstakingly thought-out puns. Another great pun, and she goes on, I don't think the forces of darkness are even trying. She walks off, still sort of grumbling to herself, and from a distance, Spike watches. He starts monologuing about how she shouldn't tempt fate, and he says, because the big bad is back in this time... But he's cut off when jolts of electricity hit him. He falls to the ground and guys in military gear drag him away. In the DVD commentary, Joss Whedon said uh, this was the inevitable bad guy teaser. But then he's dragged off and we don't see him again. My sense is from at least this commentary that the writers really enjoyed this weaving in of seeing these guys in the military garb. And we saw them in Fear Itself as well, the Halloween episode. I remember the first time I watched it kind of pulled the momentum from this episode because I kept waiting for Spike to come back in this episode and it wasn't happening. 
I was not overall disappointed, but I think there are some perils with having that in the teaser, which we are used to that signaling us something about the story that we're about to see, and here it doesn't do that. We go to credits. We come back at 2 minutes 48 seconds in. Our friends are gathered around a table in the bronze talking about how much more fun it is to be there now that they're in college and they have no curfews. And I think it's Willow says, and they're having heady discourse. Xander chimes in and says, co-ed dating prospects who find townies sexy and dangerous. Willow and Buffy give him a skeptical look and he says he can dream. Buffy agrees with him. And she says, if college is so great, what are they doing back here? But Willow argues it's nice to be somewhere familiar. It's like a big comfy blankie. And Oz says he thought he was her big comfy blankie. Willow tells him he's her person blankie and the bronze is her place blankie. So we have more sort of cuteness from Willow, a little bit like last week in Beer Bad. I think it is purposeful because it contrasts with Veruca who we're going to see in a moment. Willow says, with all the shock of the new, it's nice to have one place that you can come back to where everything's predictable. So this is a lovely instance of dialogue saying one thing that we immediately turn on its head because Giles joins them. Buffy thinks something must be wrong, but he has just come to enjoy a night out. They all look uncomfortable, but they scoot over to make room for him. When he says it's a long time since he's been at a gig, Oz and Buffy smirk a bit. He tells them he's down with the new music and he has the albums to prove it. There is somewhat of a resurgence of vinyl now. At the time, there was not. So I believe everything was CDs and moving into digital downloads. So even the CDs might have been somewhat old technology at the time. And Buffy responds, yes, but it's your cutting edge eight tracks that put you ahead of the scene. Oz tells them all not to scoff. He's seen Giles' record collection. Buffy now compares Giles to the Rolling Stones. If they can keep rolling, why can't Giles? And Willow tells Giles it's brave of him to come here. He thanks them for all making him feel right at home. Xander says, isn't home that empty place you're trying to escape? This is another running season four subplot. Giles at loose ends now that he is both no longer an official watcher and no longer a librarian. I love Giles. Anytime I can see Giles is fantastic. Yet I think this is a bit of what makes these early episodes feel a bit slow because we do have a lot of these small moments in these subplots that on first watch we don't know where they're going or if they're going anywhere. We are now nearing 10% through the episode. So here is where typically we'll see a story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling at 4 minutes 35 seconds in. So almost exactly 10%, the band starts playing and Veruca, who we saw in, um, I think was named in the previous episode, this very talented and sensual singer is the one who is singing today. And Willow comments on that. And Oz says, oh, he told Willow, Veruca is there every Wednesday. Oz stares at Veruca and we get a close-up on his eyes and her eyes. 
Willow notices, and so does Buffy. To distract him, Buffy asks when Dingoes will be playing again, and it takes a moment for Oz to sort of come back to Earth and say next Friday, and then he goes right back to staring at Veruca. Willow takes his hand, says the band's good, Oz claims it's nothing special. Buffy, in solidarity to Willow, agrees and says, color me bored. But Giles, who doesn't get it at all, he he has been watching Veruca, not the byplay between Willow and Oz. He says, really? I think she's rather remarkable. Such a presence for someone her age. Thank you, Giles. That made Willow feel so much better. We cut to the next scene. It's morning. Oz is holding Willow. They're in bed under the covers. She's talking in her sleep about a sandblaster. Oz tells her she's dreaming. She half wakes, and then she pretends to still be sleeping and says something about raspberry hats, kind of singing it. Oz says, now you're faking, and Willow says, am not. They're very cute. Oz comments on how it's always so busy in her brain, something I identify with. She says, well, a few things quiet her brain, but she looks at the clock. There's no time. She has to get to class. But tonight for sure, she says. Oz responds that they can't. It's the night before the full moon, a wolf night. This is a great way to get in some background facts for viewers who don't know Oz is a werewolf and it comes in through some minor conflict about whether they can have sex that night while the scene is sweet and fun and they're both relaxed in the moment there is underlying conflict and tension because of that scene the night before which is something to keep in mind if you are going to have a scene that needs to happen that perhaps doesn't have a lot of conflict within it but you need that scene if you put a scene before it that raises some major story questions or some tension between the characters now it is there in the background and it keeps that next scene compelling willow tells him she's going to her wicca group that night so she can't be there overnight with him while he's in the cage he says it's fine she should go he can lock himself up And she says she'll go if he really doesn't mind. Oz says, the only thing I mind is being away from you for three nights. So now we also know it's three nights. At eight minutes, seven seconds, we are at psychology class. Buffy got an A on her paper. Professor Walsh tells her it was smart work and wants her to lead a discussion group next week. Buffy shows Willow. Willow says, you did better than me. This is so unfair. And then she realizes what she's saying and says, you made me jealous of you academically, Buffy. Buffy, though, now realizes this means she'll have to do more work. And she says, shouldn't she have a better reward system like a cookie or a toy surprise like at the dentist? Willow invites Buffy to join her in Oz. They're meeting at a cafe outside on campus. And Buffy says she will after she sees the TA. We're at 9 minutes 30 seconds in and we cut to Oz who is looking for a table outside. He sees Veruca sitting alone and hesitates saying his girlfriend is coming when she offers him a seat and she tells him there's plenty of room. They start talking about music and amplifiers 
Willow sees them. She takes a breath, smiles, and joins them. We are nearing the one-quarter twist, 25% through the episode. This is what I call that first major plot turn. It typically comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. Sometimes it will come a bit later in a TV episode versus a book. Here, I do think it is this next scene. Willow sits down with Veruca and Oz. There is an awkward silence, and then Oz goes back to the conversation. And on the DVD commentary, Joss Whedon said he had been that so often. The third wheel, though, he was the boyfriend. And he commented that now Willow is going to make it worse. So this made me think of the idea that there is part of the author in every character, which I talked about in this month's bonus content for patrons. So it was, it was interesting to hear Joss Whedon say that at this moment. Willow says, oh, I love music talk. Oz is saying that number one is Hound Dog. Willow jumps in thinking he means the Elvis song and starts talking about how she loves Elvis. And Oz says, we're actually talking amps, but it's easy to get confused. The names they give them. And Willow gives an awkward laugh. And I feel so bad for her. After a moment, Oz says he has to go. He'll call Willow later. After he leaves, Veruca says, I should go too. Good shirt. Willow looks down at her shirt in dismay. Buffy walks up at that moment and says, check out the rapid exits. Was it me? Willow says, me. I don't speak musician-ease. How come you didn't tell me I look like a crazy birthday cake in this shirt? And Buffy says, I thought that was the point. Willow tells Buffy that Oz thinks Veruca is sexy, and Buffy tells her so Oz checks out another girl he loves Willow, and promises her that in a couple days it'll be like Veruca who? Willow asks if she's sure, and Buffy says absolutely, Oz just isn't the type to stray. And Willow responds, not tonight anyway, he'll be locked in a cage. So we could see this whole scene as the one-quarter turn for what I think of as the emotional plot. As I was watching up to this point, I was not sure if that was the main plot. Ultimately, I think that it is. But one of the questions when trying to figure that out is, who is the protagonist? A good protagonist, a strong protagonist, should be the main point of view character, have a goal the protagonist actively pursues, and have the most at stake. So Willow does, so far, seem to be our main point of view character. Though we started with Buffy in that intro scene, the cold open, We switched almost immediately to Willow. We saw her watching Oz, feeling jealous of Veruca, and we have mostly stayed with her since then or felt the most for her. As far as a goal, in this episode, Willow's goal from that scene in the bronze has been to um, keep her relationship with Oz close to be first with him. We see her in subtle ways pursuing that actively by asking him questions at the bronze, by taking his hand, trying to distract him from Veruca. And here in this last scene, painful as it was to watch, 
Willow was trying. She was trying to join the music talk. She didn't understand it, but she was really trying. And she gave that smile before she sat down. She was going to be happy and basically really try to make this all okay. Also, no one else in the episode has an active goal yet. Oz is attracted to Veruca, but right now it seems like he is not quite admitting it to himself or not dealing with it, so there is no active goal there. Now, who has the most at stake? In one way, it's Oz. As the episode develops, he's the one who could kill someone as a wolf or get killed when he's the wolf. But Willow has the most at stake here emotionally, or at least we identify the most with her emotions. And when I listened to the DVD commentary, that underscored that. Joss Whedon commented that we're with Willow. When Oz leaves, we're being left. So this is part of why I see this scene as that one-quarter twist. It's that moment when Willow admits to herself and states out loud to Buffy that Oz is being drawn to Veruca. And the fact that he is sort of drawn to her almost, it is something coming outside of both Oz and Willow, almost like this force, which we'll find out is in part because, or maybe completely because, Veruca is also a werewolf. So there's nothing either of them can do about that aspect of it. And this does turn the story, because now it is going to be specifically about Willow and Oz and Veruca. Next, Oz goes into an underground area with a pretty large cage and he locks himself in and turns into the wolf. At 13 minutes, 14 seconds in, Oz throws himself against the bars and the cage door fails and he gets out. So this is the first major plot turn for what I think of as the wolf plot, which is Oz's subplot. And for sure, this spins the story in a totally new direction because now Oz is out there and there is danger all around. And it raises the stakes, which that first major plot turn should do. And it's certainly more clear that it raises the stakes in Oz's plot. So this is a good example, and it will continue, of as you build a story, you want to keep asking yourself, what is the next worst thing that could happen to your protagonist? So we have Willow face-to-face with Oz and Veruca. Now we have Oz getting out of the cage. That is the next worst thing that could happen. Uh, Oz not being able to control the wolf, the worst thing for both Willow and Oz. Now we see Professor Walsh at night. A werewolf leaps out at her. She throws her briefcase at it and runs. At 14 minutes in, another werewolf confronts her. So this is the next worst thing. Now there are two werewolves. That one is growling. Walsh is frightened, gets out of the way just as the two wolves lunge at each other and wrestle each other. The camera pans back to a full moon. So it's a great twist. After a quiet first quarter of the episode, now we just have this building conflict. And now there will be the next worst thing because in the daytime, we close up on Oz. He's naked in kind of a woodsy area, scratches on his chest. Veruca is lying there behind him and she says, morning. For Willow in particular, this is definitely the next worst thing. 
Which raises the question, who is the antagonist here for Oz, for the Oz subplot? And this turn for him, I see that as a major reversal for him. That typically comes in the center of the episode, and we will see one there in the main plot for Willow. So this is roughly in the middle of Oz's story. Not only does he realize he got out, but he is with Veruca waking up, entwined with her. You could see this as Oz versus Oz, or Oz versus Veruca, but she is almost the outer manifestation of his inner wolf and his desires. Today we have some listener comments from Raven Dark author that one of the YouTube videos, uh, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, was actually playing the audio for Nightmares and had the Nightmares image as well. So thank you so much, Raven Dark author, for letting me know that. It took me a bit. I figured out how to fix it, and I also discovered the puppet show was not in the playlist. And I'm a little bit behind uploading episodes, but I hope by the next couple weeks all of them will be there and then I'll be releasing the podcast episode on YouTube at the same time as I do for all the other platforms. If you would like to share your thoughts on the show, ask a question, or leave a comment, you can do that at YouTube, lisalilly.com slash YouTube. You can do so on the episode on my author website at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story. You can look for me on Twitter at Lisa Emerson Marie Lily L I L Y dot com hashtag Buffy Story, or you can look for the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. After commercial, we return to that same scene, and Veruca says that was some night. Oz responds, so it appears, and she realizes that he doesn't remember it and says, it's like that at first, but bits and pieces come back. Oz says, so you're a, and Veruca says, werewolf groupie. No one else gets it done for me. And Oz says, what? And Veruca says, kidding. You know what I am. You've known since the first time you saw me. She tells him he needs to relax, and Oz says not a possibility. She sighs and asks what he wants to do, and the scene switches to the laundry room, where they are taking clothes from the dryers, and Veruca says, God, the kids in the storm need Fashion 101 in a big way. So another, uh, at least quasi-villain, commenting on fashion seems to be a theme here. Oz, though, says they need to figure out how they got out of their cages, and she is amazed that he has a cage. Oz says, don't you? Veruca responds, yeah, it has a little wheel with a plastic ball and a cute little bell in it. God, somebody's domesticated the hell out of you. Oz says it's his choice. He doesn't want to hurt anyone, but she tells him or he's in denial of what he is, and he's trying to pretend to be a regular guy. Oz claims he is a regular guy. He's only a wolf three nights a month, but she says, or maybe you're the wolf all the time, and the human face is a disguise. But she reassures him that the only damage they did the night before was to each other. And she starts saying that she knows some part of him remembers. 
She moves closer. They don't need a full moon. They could do it again. He is tempted but tells her that they aren't going to. And she says she can help him and says, you're scared. I was too. But then I accepted it, the animal. It's powerful inside me all the time. Soon you just start to feel sorry for everybody else because they don't know what it's like to be as alive as we are, as free. And Oz responds, free to kill people? I won't do that. You shouldn't. Veruca tells him he doesn't understand, but he will. He'll see that they belong together. And Oz says, no, I know where I belong. And Veruca responds, see you tonight. Veruca, as a character, I find troubling. I wanted there to be more to her. She feels very one note to me, this sexy werewolf tempting Oz to the dark side and there just doesn't seem to be a lot else there despite her lines about how she was scared in the beginning and some things she'll say later about feeling like she sensed Oz before she ever met him both of those things speak to an isolation and a loneliness but that overall doesn't come through to me and So it makes her this evil seductress. It's interesting because on the DVD commentary, Joss Whedon said he feels for Veruca. She's a different kind of person, and she really believes that this is what Oz needs, that he's with the wrong person. And then Joss comments, well, she eventually goes to a bad place and tries to kill Willow, but that he has this empathy for her. And and I wanted more of that to come through. And I don't know if some of that was how it was directed, or maybe I was looking for something more in those lines, but she felt to me almost like a caricature. Though I like knowing that the writer saw her as something more than that. At 18 minutes, 16 seconds in, we are in the high school again. Buffy walks up as Professor Walsh and Riley are talking about her being attacked by two wild dogs. We switch to Willow knocking on Oz's door. Now she is dressed in black leather pants. He says, new look. And she says, him too, looking at Oz's sweats and baggy t-shirt. He claims it's laundry day. There's a little bit of vampire Willow in this look. And to me, more of that linking of overt sexuality for a woman and evil. So we had that with Veruca. Now there's this callback to Vampire Willow. It also makes me think of Faith and Buffy. Faith had more excitement about life, more open sexuality, and not that Buffy was was not sexual, but she had to place all these limits on her feelings for Angel, her sex life with Angel. And Faith, in contrast, was wanting to dive right in, which was linked with evil. And when Buffy wore the leather pants, that's when she was ready to kill Faith. And I see this as an example of the writers not always seeing the themes that they are weaving in. I believe that the link they are trying to make is not necessarily with sexuality, but with the abandonment of all other values or all other constraints, sort of the unbridled desire. And Joss commented in the DVD that he sees Oz as the male id, a theme that we had last week 
week as well. Marty Knox then commented, and I do agree on this, that Willow in her sexy outfit here is so sad because it doesn't work because it can't work given what else is happening here. Willow puts her arms around Oz, and Willow apologizes if it was weird with Veruca the day before, but Oz claims he didn't notice. She says she's worrying for nothing. It's her busy brain, always thinking. He assures her everything is fine, and she says maybe he could help her stop thinking so much. And she's kissing him. She pulls at his shirt, and we see the scratch marks from Veruca. Oz pulls away, says he didn't get any sleep. He's really tired. Willow says it was a busy wolf night. She gets it and claims it's totally okay, clearly not okay. Oz says she doesn't have to go. And Willow says, no, I should, I don't have much time. I'll see you later. So this was at 20 minutes, 51 seconds in, very close to the midpoint. And I think this is a definite reversal for Willow. Usually at that midpoint, we see a major reversal for the protagonist or the protagonist fully committing to the quest. And here, though Willow doesn't know just how major this reversal is, in that she doesn't know exactly why it's happening or how bad things are, she feels it. And this is, even before I listened to the DVD commentary, why I started to see the emotional plot or Willow's plot as the main plot. And this devastates her. We switch to Giles. He's watching a game show in the background and complaining about the contestants' wrong answers. And he's thrilled when Buffy arrives. He offers her tea or misaka. Uh, She says no to the tea or the moose. And Giles says, you come on business, I hope. Buffy responds, yes, lucky for you, people may be in danger. She tells him about Walsh and the two dogs and the full moon. He hasn't seen anything about the attacks on the news. She tells him she'll go see Oz next. So this is another example. I love the interaction between the two of them. It's very fun. But you could lift this scene out of the episode and absolutely nothing would change. So it is an example of how these character arcs weaving through the episodes slow things down a bit. We switch to Willow visiting Xander in the basement. She comments that his mom is cranky and Xander says they're having a landlord-tenant dispute, withholding rent until he gets a lock on his door. So this is another character arc moment, more showing of how Xander's life is different from that of his friends. Willow tells him things with Oz are weird and asks, what does it mean when a girl wants to, you know? And Xander says, if you're doing it, I think you should be able to say it. Which, good point, Xander. I like him a lot in this episode. Willow then goes on about the girl and the guy until Xander says, well, I've deciphered your ingenious code. So Willow tells him Oz has been noticing someone else who is definitely noticing back. And when Xander asks if she talked to Oz about it, Willow says, well, I thought about it, but then he'll think I'm all jealous and worried. Xander says, but you are, and odds are he feels it. So also a good point, I love that he is encouraging her to talk about it, to say what she feels. Although, obviously, unfortunately, that isn't all that is going on. But it's still good general relationship advice from Xander. 
At 24 minutes, 19 seconds in, we cut to Oz welding his cage. Buffy comes down the stairs, and he admits to her that he got out last night. He's relieved that there were no attacks, but when she tells him about two wolves, he claims he doesn't know anything. Buffy tells him if she finds the other one, he may have a roommate in there tonight. And then she says, Oz... Oz, are you okay? If anything, I mean, if it's possible, you seem more monosyllabic than usual. On the commentary, Joss Whedon also mentioned that at first when they were going through planning this story, they thought they had to figure out how the episode fit with Buffy's agenda. And then they realized that Buffy could be strong and interesting in it, but it's Oz's and Willow's story. And this is a great example of the balance when you have a series with a series protagonist, but you occasionally make an episode about another character where that other character here, Willow, is the protagonist. And then even the subplot here, which is Oz's, is not Buffy's. The episode goes into a montage, and the timing of it, I'm not sure it works. We have Veruca singing at the bronze, which normally you would think would be at night, but maybe it's a rehearsal. Oz sits in semi-darkness on his bed looking pensive. Willow is inside with a small group of women, maybe that Wicca group, although that was supposed to be last night. We go back to Oz, and then Willow is outside in broad daylight, Anyway, Oz makes a decision and reaches for his phone, and then we get a shot of the sunset. At 26 minutes, 37 seconds in, we cut to Oz holding the bars of his cage with the door open. Veruca comes down the stairs. She calls his cage a habit trail, tells him right before sunset she gets a little buzz, and she does look excited and energized, and so does he. She tells him there's no way she's spending the night in a cage, but Oz says she can't run loose, not just because she might hurt someone, but because he knows people will be out tonight hunting for them and Veruca says so you're saying I should spend the whole night with you alone locked in a cage Oz tells her she'll be safer and Veruca won't let him get away with that she says not from you isn't that the point of this cozy little arrangement she steps closer to him as she talks and tells him that she wanted him before she ever saw him she sensed him and she asks if he sensed her he grabs her and kisses her and as they embrace he pulls the cage door shut On the DVD commentary, Seth Green made a great point about this, which is that Oz makes choices throughout. He is active, which is key for a protagonist, including in a subplot. Yes, Veruca is urging him to embrace his wolf nature, and she wants to be with him. But Oz is not a victim. He makes choices. He chooses not to tell Buffy when he has every opportunity to do that. And he knows from experience Buffy's plan is not going to be just to kill this werewolf. She will tranquilize it. He calls Veruca, invites her to the cage, and he pulls her inside and kisses her before he becomes the wolf. So he is making choices. Now their hands intertwine and then turn into wolf claws. 
At 28 minutes, 27 seconds in, it's daytime. Willow bounds down the stairs. She has a thermos and a bag of donuts. She sees Veruca and Oz naked on the cage floor, and she is devastated and drops the thermos and the bag of donuts. Oz awakens and says, Willow. He pulls on his sweats as Willow says, oh my god. He lets himself out, tries to tell her he had to lock Veruca in with him because Veruca is a wolf too. He tries to take her hand and Willow says, don't touch me. And he again claims he didn't have a choice. And Willow also calls him on it and says, but you did. Uh, You could have told someone. Your, Your solution just put the two of you together in a room all night? And Veruca, who has been getting dressed in the background, says, girl's got a point. Oz says, leave, and Veruca says, well, I'm just saying, and Oz yells at her now, which I have a note, so typical, blame the woman. But Veruca leaves, Willow is angry, calls him a jerk. Oz says he knows how it feels, referring back to her and Xander kissing. And Willow says, so what? This is payback? I have it coming? Oz tells her no, and Willow goes on, because I thought that was behind us. And you know, what happened with Xander, it doesn't compare. She is crying. I am devastated for her. Oz tells her he doesn't know what he and Veruca have done. He doesn't remember when he's the wolf. So he is still not taking responsibility for his choices, even though what he says is literally true. And Willow says, but before this, when you were regular Oz, you had feelings for her, didn't you? And he tries to say no, he could sense something. And Willow goes on, but you wanted her, like, in an animal way? Like, more than you wanted me? And he doesn't answer. She runs out. So last week I talked a bit about how Beer Bad did not seem to have an antagonist. An antagonist has one job, to actively oppose the protagonist. Here I see Oz in Willow's plot, in the main plot. Oz is the antagonist. He opposes Willow throughout, rebuffing each attempt at closeness. In the beginning, he kind of pulls himself back and tries to respond to her, but we see him throughout rebuffing her more and more directly until we get to here. Now Veruca, as I mentioned, I do struggle with is Oz the antagonist in the subplot? Oz versus Oz's animal nature, the wolf, or is it Oz versus Veruca? And I'm I'm still uncertain about that. I see her as this outward manifestation of Oz's inner nature, which I feel like is what does not work. Her only defining characteristic seems to be the wolf inside her. Even her singing, her talent, her ability and knowledge of music, all of that seems to be there simply to show her sexuality. She has a little bit of humor, but mostly she's the temptress. So I really prefer a more nuanced villain or antagonist. We switch to Willow walking in the street. She's looking down and not paying attention, and she walks in front of a car. Buffy yells for her, but it's Riley who happens to be there. He's closer, and he pulls her out of the street. 
And Riley tells her, whatever it is, it's not worth hurting yourself over. At Willow's dorm room, Buffy says she has to go. She's got to stop Veruca, but she clearly feels terrible about leaving Willow, asks if she can get her something Kleenex, chocolate, and tells Willow the main thing is to put the blame where it belongs. Don't hurt herself. Before she goes, Buffy says, I love you to Willow, and she leaves. We're at 33 minutes, 16 seconds in. I see this as the three-quarter turn, the last major plot point. It should grow out of the midpoint rather than coming from outside the protagonist, but it does again spin the story in a new direction. And here Willow says to herself, put the blame where it belongs. I see this as coming from that midpoint reversal where Oz did not want to make love with her and she sensed it was about Veruca. You could also definitely see the three-quarter turn, the last major plot turn being Willow finding out about Oz and Veruca. I fastened on this because if Willow had just gone home and, and cried and been depressed and angry, but stayed in her room, it wouldn't do much for the story. But here she fastens on this idea of blame and goes to her trunk of magic supplies and starts taking them out. So that is what really spins our story. And it is an active choice by the protagonist, which is what we want to see at this point in the story. If the writing and plot elements I talk about in this podcast help you with your own writing, you might also find two of my audiobooks useful. Super Simple Story Structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel by L.M. Lilly, and The One-Year Novelist, a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year. This one is also narrated by me. You can get both books wherever you buy audiobooks. Also, you can ask at your public library. Many of them loan audiobooks, and they can order a copy of either book for you or may already have it. You can also get both books, The One-Year Novelist and Super Simple Story Structure, in ebook or workbook editions. Links are in the show notes. Now, Oz, in his subplot, is also being somewhat active. He's on the phone. He's asking someone about Veruca, and he hangs up, and Buffy enters and says, Where is she? Oz tells Buffy he already checked her usual places. He can't find her, but he can follow her scent. So they're going to go hunt for her. And Oz says, look, Buffy, you should know that. And Buffy says, Oz, now might be a good time for your trademark stoicism, which I also really love. And it's only as I'm recording this that I'm seeing that we have each woman here really not letting Oz get away with excuses or lying to himself. Willow, Veruca, Buffy, they all just call him on it. I really like that and had not seen that before. Willow is, I think, in a chemistry lab or a kitchen. I'm not clear which, but she is mixing ingredients. There are flames in a bowl. There are beakers of liquid around her. And she is saying a spell uh, in the name of hell. Let them find no love or solace. Let them find no peace as well. The beakers rise. 
We switch to Buffy and Oz outside. She has a tranquilizer gun. They reach a pile of clothes on the ground that are Veruca's and realize they are probably there to throw them off the scent. And Oz says Willow and they run. But one of the military guys crashes into Buffy. So Oz gets ahead of her. We go back to Willow who's holding a photo of Oz saying this image will seal his fate. But she hesitates and her expression softens and she drops it. And all the beakers drop and shatter. And now once again we get what is the next worst thing. Because from behind Willow, Veruca says, wow. For a minute there, I thought you might actually play rough. And she locks the door and says, sometimes you have to, you know, to keep what's yours. Sometimes you have to kill. She glances toward the window. How about that? The sun's almost down. And we cut to a commercial. We come back to Buffy. She gets to her feet. The military guy tries to take the gun. She grabs it and runs. Veruca is now taunting Willow about Oz and then slugs her and Willow flies across the room. At 36 minutes, 35 seconds in, Oz bursts in and tells Veruca, don't touch her again. We are at, I think, the climax. So our climax is where our opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. And the reason I struggle a bit is because Willow and Oz, they do have a sort of confrontation, but it's not as direct as the one between Oz and Veruca. So this is a climax of the Oz and Veruca subplot. And then there will also be a sort of climax to the Oz versus Oz subplot. So it's It's very dramatic and I think it works, but I think the mixing of these plots is a little bit of why, much as I love a lot of this episode, I feel a bit unsatisfied by it. After Oz says, don't touch her again, Veruca says, come stop me. I like it rough, remember? Oz tells her to leave Willow out of it and Veruca says she can't. Willow is the reason he's living in cages. When Willow is gone, Oz will be able to admit what he is. She tells him he He's an animal and they both start to change and she says animals kill and Oz says you're right we kill he lunges for her half changed into the wolf Willow watches as they struggle then they turn fully into wolves and fight and Oz rips Veruca's throat out this ends the Veruca Oz subplot. And on the DVD commentary, Joss Whedon mentioned that they talked about seeing Veruca get away, but decided it wasn't mythic enough. Which is interesting because if Veruca got away, that would for me have solved some of the thematic issues that troubled me about the episode, but probably would make it an even less satisfying climax. Although it would put the focus back on Willow and Oz. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'd be really curious to see what that would have done to the story. He also said they showed the throat being ripped out to make it 
absolutely clear that Veruca was dead. And I do think that that's important. Otherwise, with this next moment, we would have been thinking about Veruca instead or about whether Veruca would come back to life instead. Willow is breathing hard. She says, Oz, and she stretches her hand toward him, maybe thinking he will recognize her. But he lunges for her, about to attack, almost gets to her, and Buffy enters and pulls him away, kicks him, pulls out the tranquilizer gun, and shoots him. This feels like the end of the climax, but is it? Because as I said, we didn't exactly get a Willow-Oz confrontation, and Willow is almost a bystander in this, which generally isn't what you want for your protagonist. After she lets the beakers drop, she can't fight Veruca, she can't fight Oz, Buffy has to stop him. We can see Buffy as a sort of stand-in for Willow. She is Willow's friend, but it it makes the climax uh, lack a bit of power, though it has a ton of emotional weight. So now we are at, again, I think, the falling action. This is where we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. 38 minutes, 27 seconds in, Buffy holds Willow, who is sobbing. It is so much like when Angel broke up with Buffy and Buffy was sobbing and couldn't breathe and Willow held her. The next day, the sun rises. Buffy and Giles are talking in his apartment And it turns out Buffy is talking about the guy in the military garb, as Giles puts it. And Buffy tells him she saw them on Halloween and thought they were in costume, but maybe not. They got in her way, slowed her down, and Buffy feels bad that she was too late to stop everything that happened with Oz and Veruca. So on the DVD, Marty Noxon commented that they were still playing Who's That Guy with the military. And that's why I said it seemed like the writers thought that was kind of fun we're again here it it feels a bit out of place it throws off for me what is the story about and it doesn't resolve a subplot it just dangles it out there in an episodic show you want to have story questions it's sort of like the end of the chapter you want to weave in some questions but for whatever reason these ones about the military guys don't work that well for me Giles reminds Buffy that she saved Willow. Buffy comments that right now Willow probably wishes Buffy hadn't. And Giles says Buffy got through something similar. And Buffy says, yeah, I ran away and went to hell and then got through it. I'm kind of hoping she doesn't use me as a model. Which is a nice callback to the season two premiere, Anne. And then Buffy says she just doesn't know how they're going to deal with this. Another thing from the DVD, Joss Whedon said that if Oz was going to leave, it had to be the worst thing imaginable. I do think they succeeded at that and it definitely fits that things get worse way of writing. At almost 40 minutes in, we cut to Willow knocking on Oz's door. She comes in, his closet is empty, he's finishing packing and tells her he's leaving. So in some way, this could be the climax of the main plot, which is a loss for Willow. And that can happen. Sometimes your protagonist loses. 
It's also a climax of Oz's subplot if we see it as Oz versus himself. And here I would call it a Pyrrhic victory. He prevailed over Veruca if we see her as kind of his animal nature, but it is at a tremendous cost because he is also losing Willow. He tells her he's leaving. Willow says, that's your solution. And Oz says, that's my decision. And Willow says, don't I get any say in this? And Oz says, no. Veruca was right about something. The wolf is inside me all the time. I don't know what that line is anymore between me and it. And until I figure out what that means, I shouldn't be around you or anybody. He tells her he'll find someplace deserted. He doesn't know for how long. And Willow says, Oz, don't you love me? which breaks my heart. Marty Noxon said when she wrote this, she didn't include that line. She thought about it, but she thought it was too obvious or too on the nose. And then Joss Whedon added it in and she realized that was the way to go and said it was an important writing lesson that sometimes people say exactly what they feel and that is what Willow feels and would say there. And I love that she commented on that because so often, and I'm sure I've said it on the podcast, it is more powerful to have a character not say something. You're, you're angry that the person you're seeing won't say I love you and instead you argue about where to go for dinner and it becomes this huge fight and that can be so powerful but it's good to think about sometimes the most powerful thing is to have the character say what they mean and of course this is how Willow would feel right here don't you love me and Oz says my whole life I've never loved anything else Willow is crying they hold each other he kisses her forehead then grabs his things and goes as if he won't be able to leave if he doesn't do it right this second. We cut to Oz outside. 42 minutes, 39 seconds in. He gets in the driver's seat, bends his head down over the steering wheel, and doesn't start the car, looks toward the window. We cut to Willow crying. And Joss Whedon said they did this so the audience would hope that Oz might not leave. And then we go back to Oz and he drives away. So it's like that last just moment of hope and it's yanked away because you know Willow is inside there hoping he will turn back. So what a powerful and heartbreaking ending. A couple more thoughts on theme. Another thing that troubles me somewhat about Veruca is when she's saying the animal inside is powerful. Both Veruca and Oz have a powerful animal inside. Veruca is the one who realizes and recognizes it, but she is presented as not caring about killing people, and she ends up dead. While Oz does care about killing people and he is left alive to deal with it and this is where I feel like the male-female aspect of this has some underlying themes that the writers probably did not intend because it seems to be saying if a woman is powerful it will lead her to kill other people to be very dangerous and not care and end up dead but if a man has a powerful animal inside it will lead him to a journey of self-discovery I do not think that was the plan at all but I'm not sure you can uh, avoid that being part of what that story conveys 
Marty Knoxon said she saw the story as a metaphor for being that age, early in college age or late adolescent age, and being truly in love with someone. And it's so hard because it's also a time when people really yearn to be free. And I love that more as a theme. And I think you would have gotten that more if Veruca did get away and run free, then that would come through more. But I feel like a lot of people struggle with at that age. You meet the person who might be the absolute right person for you but it is not the right time and you have this strong draw towards independence and freedom and being on your own. Marty Noxon also commented that she saw it as an ancient conflict, a difference in how women's and men's sexuality is typically expressed and that fits with Joss Whedon's comment on Oz here being the male id. Another thing I I really found interesting here is Oz as antagonist. And Joss Whedon commented that he did not see Oz as a bad guy. Whedon said he's the tragic hero. Like, yes, he's the antagonist, but he is the tragic hero. And I think that is part of why I struggled a bit with who the antagonist was here for Willow. I really like that. I feel like stories are strongest, Buffy is strongest, when our antagonist is layered and has their own story, that idea of everyone being the hero in their own story, and Whedon said he saw that as a theme of the series. There aren't just bad guys. There are villains or antagonists with different agendas, but everyone thinks that they are righteous. And that is it for the episode, other than spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you so much for listening, and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. I hope you will all come back next Monday for the initiative, where we finally see what those military guys are up to. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. We get the mention of Willow's Wicca group, very early reference to the group where she will meet Tara, which happens in episode 10, Hush. So we have some time to wait before we get there. Veruca's comment about feeling almost sorry for everyone else who is not as alive. A bit of foreshadowing for Adam, our season four big bad, because he will make similar comments, I think, to some vampires when he is saying he is the only one who is fully aware And I believe he says fully alive. So I am going to watch for do we have themes in this season linking fully alive with some evil agendas. I like this episode. Uh, There's so much heartbreak in it. But I feel like New Moon Rising, when Oz comes back, takes it to such a higher emotional level. And the plot, at least as I remember it, I feel like holds together somewhat better than here or I should say I don't have the troubling issues that I have with this one and Seth Green commented how he loved New Moon Rising because of the way it covered so much and did it in a short space and did it without cheating or um, shorting the audience on what needed to happen. 
And I do think there we will explore that male id theme again in a slightly different way. So that also gives me something else to watch for. Is that a theme of this whole season? And I'm thinking maybe it is because we are talking about this military complex, which while Professor Walsh has a very strong role in it, she will be knocked out of the running and Adam will be the villain. I personally think he's less interesting than Professor Walsh, but it leaves the initiative this entirely masculine organization. So maybe there is something about the male id here. We'll see. If so, an interesting contrast to Xander, who so far, for the most part, has been a great friend in this season, maybe a better friend than he was in previous seasons. So I'll also be looking for, is that a deliberate contrast? And how does that affect Xander? Are some of his feelings about being inadequate also about not fitting that military model of masculinity? So that is it for spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you'll come back next Monday for the initiative where we will also see a lot more of Spike. You can find my fiction and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.